I'm excited to begin week number four of our series. 401 is today. They finally let me join the dream team. So I get to be on the parking team every Sunday. I loved it out there. I had my flag out there. We had so much fun. I tell you, this, this really is one of my favorite teams. I know everyone is created for different things. I love this because when people come to our church for the very first time, to have the team out there welcoming them and greeting them makes such a difference in their life. So I want to encourage you, if you've been a part of our church for any period of time, and you haven't found your place, uh, there is a place God has created you for. We have new Dream Team t-shirts coming out as a gift for everyone on our Dream Team, and and the shirt simply says, I was made for this, because that's the philosophy of the dream. We don't have any volunteers in our church. It's not about, you cannot volunteer in our church. What, what, What our church is built on is people who discover their place, discover what you were made for, and do what you're passionate about and what you love. And unfortunately, someone gave me this at one of my dream team courses. It's a severed foot. Um, You know, because I always talk about, you know, if you look at it, you know, I think from God's perspective, God looking down on most churches in America today, this is what he sees. He sees a bunch of these sitting in the church, just severed body parts. You know, because it's people who haven't figured out what they were created for and connected to their place in the body. And God, God doesn't want you to be a severed foot or, or a severed body part. See, Paul says when you're part of the local church, you have a place. Some people are feet, some people are arms, some people are legs, some people are hands. And it's when we're all connected, functioning together, God can do significant things through the church. So don't be a severed body part. It's not fun. So if you've been a part of our church for any period of time uh, and you haven't found your place, let us help you discover the place that God created you for because you'll love it and you'll get to make a significant difference with our life. One of our annual dream teams is coming around right now. It's something that we do every uh, gearing up to the Christmas uh, season. It's an incredible opportunity to be a part of and it's, it's just kind of a once a year dream team that we do. And so I want you to check out this video and then after service you can stop by the table and get more information about how to be a part of this dream team. I'm happy today because it's Christmas. Operation Christmas Child is one of the great stories that's unfolding in our lifetime. I want the children of the world to know. I want their parents to know that God loves them and he wants them to be with him in heaven. That's what it's all about. Every single box is important because it connects to hearts. The heart of the person who packs the box and the heart who is in need of that love. When I look at these boxes, I just see thousands of smiling kids. I think it's an awesome opportunity to change the world. We have led the children from the box to the Bible. We developed the greatest journey, a 12-week discipleship program for the kids that make decisions for Christ. I'm so excited that I'm part of a ministry that is so huge. This is just so awesome to give these children the opportunity to experience the love of Christ in a way that they've never experienced before in their lives. We are only seeing just the beginning of this project. 
because the Lord, he's got something that is beyond our imagination into the millions and into the billions. And these children will change the world. These are kids that have nothing. These gifts will mean everything in the world to these children. And we're going to give them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Ed. I'd like to share with you um, the impact that Operation Christmas Child has made on, on our family. We've been involved in it over the last 10 years, and it's one of the most amazing gospel outreach opportunities I've ever seen. What's pretty obvious is the fun and the toys that go into the box. What's not as obvious is the impact that comes out is eternal. In each of these boxes, the greatest gift of all is a story about Jesus in their native language, and kids have been saved, families have been transformed, whole villages have been saved as a result of these, churches have been planted. I know by now you're asking, how can I get involved? There are a number of ways. Uh, you can shop, you can donate, you can participate in our packing parties coming up. And next Saturday on October 4th, right here at Coastline, we're having our regional kickoff. We'll have a motivational speaker. We'll have all kinds of training materials, people you can talk to about the programs. When you wake up on Christmas morning, you think of all the kids that got boxes. It's going to be just a joyful experience, especially knowing that some of these are going to get saved from this box. So see us after the service. We have a number of people on the team that would love to answer questions. Thanks. going to be such a fun season. Ed, Ed is one of our elders. He's here today and he'll be at the table to answer questions. And I love this. I love taking my six-year-old shopping and doing this because I want my, my son to have a heart for other people. I want him to understand that Christmas is not just about you getting stuff, but we can make a difference in the lives of others. And so this is such a great educational opportunity for parents to take their kids shopping. And while you're shopping, explain to your children what you're doing and the impact that it's going to make and the lives that you're going to touch and the lives that you're going to change and then pray over those boxes together. Uh, we had a, I heard a miracle story at the first service. We had a, a first-time visitor to our church, and she saw the video, and she told me afterwards, she goes, my daughter was in the Philippines handing out those boxes for Samaritan's Purse uh, a couple years ago, and they were giving them to the children, and they got to the end of the line, and she had one box, and there was two kids, and she was crushed, like, because she was like, what am I going to do? I've got one box, and there's two kids, and she said she opened up the box, and inside the box, whoever packed the box, but two of everything. And it was just, she said it was just the biggest miracle that when she got to the end of the line, there was two of everything in there. Uh, this is such a, an incredible opportunity. So I want to I encourage you, stop by the table, talk to them, be a part of it. We actually get to be blessed. We're the regional drop-off center for all of North Counties. God uses our church to collect the boxes for all of North County. Last year, we collected over 2,000 boxes uh, from all over. Almost 1,000 of them were from our church. This year, I think our church can do 2,000 boxes, and, and everyone else can do the rest. And, and, and I just think it's such a worthwhile opportunity. So I'm excited to go out there and do it. I want to invite you to pull out your message notes. We're beginning week four of our series. This is the fourth and final week, and we're going to move into a new series next week. 
But we've been getting incredible reports of the impact that God is using this series in the lives of people, in the lives of family. And one of the guys on our dream team, Mike, told me this week that he took me literal last Sunday and he went home to his children, his old, or his youngest child is 17 years old, and he sat his three children down one, one-on-one and he said, you know, I just want to share with you, if, if I was gone tomorrow, I want you to really know how I feel about you. And he said it was the most amazing experience he's had with his kids, just having a heart-to-heart, really telling his children how much he loves them, how proud he is of them. And if something ever happened to him, he wants them to be absolutely clear of how he feels about them. He said it freaked out his daughter a little bit at first, but then afterwards, just he said it was the most amazing experience. And, and I hope that you take some of this stuff literal and really begin to apply it to your life because it'll change some family situations. The theme of the series is how would your life be different if you had 30 days to live? Like what, what would you do differently? What changes would you need to make if you knew you had 30 days to live? What, what would you stop doing that you're currently doing? What, what would you start doing that you're not doing today that you would need to do if you had 30 days left? Uh, our theme for the series is the prayer of King David in Psalm chapter 39. And I hope this prayer really gets burned on your heart because I think you would process life differently if you really understood this prayer at, at a deep level inside of you. Psalm 39 verse 4, the Bible says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is just a breath. How, how, how would we be different if we really believed that to be truth? Uh, week one, we talked about the book of James, and James says, life is a mist. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. And so you need to turn those intentions into actions. You can't wait for tomorrow. Week two, we talked about uh, our pursuit for material stuff. We work so hard for things that we can't take with us and neglect the very things that matter most in our life. Uh, Last week, we talked about legacy, and I'm so inspired by last week's message that we're actually launching four weeks of legacy starting next week, and I really believe the next four weeks in October is going to be the most significant series we're going to do in our church in a long, long time. I believe years from now, we're going to look back at the month of October and said God did something very significant during that series that altered the course of our church, and so that begins next week as we really dig into legacy even more. Today we're going to end this series of the message uh, titled Fighting for Peace. Fighting for Peace. And we'll get into that in a moment. I want uh, what we're going to do today in the stories we're going to look at is we're going to look at the same three families or situations again, Larry, Stacy, and Lionel, and Sherry, and going to hear from them to kind of recap this series. And the opening video is, is, is Larry had the opportunity because as many of you that were here week two know, he passed away shortly after this video was filmed. He had ALS, and he, it's a little bit hard to understand, but what he had the opportunity to do during this, this, this uh, film project on his life was to share with each of his children what he really felt about them. Above all else, this is what I want you to know. And so this is his uh, heart to his kids, uh, really the last words that he was able to document for his children to be able to live with. So watch this with me. I know you struggled with a lot of things, but I know deep down in my heart, you will 
work together and growing to be a wonderful man. And I know that you will find a passion in your life that will help guide you and that you can look back on and everybody who knows you will be proud of you. Abby, you are a beautiful young girl who needs to stop growing up. You know what I mean? And I say that lovingly. Um, you are a special person who brings joy to everybody. And I'm so proud of the fact that you look at people for who they truly are. Josh, you are the funny man. Ever since when you were little, I called you the Teflon Bubba, and you have more jokes and more spirit and fine humor and things that I couldn't even begin to imagine. Ellie, you're the youngest and you're the loudest. And you know what? I wouldn't change that for the world. You let everybody know you're there. You're not afraid to speak your mind. And I wish that I had just a little bit of that ability. And it will make you very strong when you grow up. I don't think there is anything that I haven't already told you. Um, I love you. I know you love me. You know, as you, as you watch that video, you realize very quickly what mattered most with very limited time. He wasn't talking about his stuff. He was talking about relationships. He's talking about his family. Life is all about relationships. Life is too short to not be connected to people the way God created us to be connected to people. Relationships are important. Relationships were extremely important to Jesus. If you really want to look at it, Jesus lived in a small group. He brought his small group everywhere with him. You know, his 12 disciples, that was his small group. You know, and he, he lived with them. He, he, I mean, he did life with them constantly. They mattered. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus talks about relationships through the viewpoint of the two greatest commandments that, that really sum up everything. Like Jesus said, if, if you really want to understand it all, do these two things. These are the two most important commandments to God. And in Mark 12 verse 30, Jesus says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Like, like, you've got to love God with all your heart. But then he goes on to say the second is equally important. Now, most of us would assume, well, well wouldn't the first one be the most important? Like, like, wouldn't loving God be what's most important to God? Well, Jesus says, no, there's another one that is equally important. And that word equal in the Greek means equal. 
It means the same value. It's, it's exactly the same. According to God, this means as much to me as the first one does. And, and it really makes sense if you're a parent of multiple children. Because one, as a parent, you want your kids to love you. Like you want your children to love you, but you also want them to love each other. Like you want them to get along. And that's just as, a, like, like you, you wouldn't be happy if your kid loved you and hated his brother. That wouldn't make you happy at all. You want them to equally love you and love their siblings, love each other. And that's also important to God because he says the second commandment, which is equal to the first commandment, is love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everyone who's God's child. Everybody that lives on planet earth is a child of God and is a neighbor. And God wants us to love all of us. All of us. It's in our DNA. Relationships are part of the very fabric of who we are. So the reason why I titled this message Fighting for Peace is because the chances are, my guess is most people here today have relationships that aren't where they need to be. You've got some relationships in your life that are estranged, or there's, there's a wedge, or there's some separation, there's some bitterness there. It's just not where it needs to be. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, this is in our one-year Bible this week, he says, make every effort. This is how God views those relationships. If you want to know, how does God feel about the relationship you have, that there's a wedge, there's some separation, there's some estrangement, there's, there's some bitterness, this is how God views it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, fight for peace. Fight for peace in those relationships. Fight for peace. These three words, make every effort in the Greek, comes from one Greek word, and it's the Greek word spadazonte. Spadazonte. And it literally means to strive eagerly or earnestly. It's a word they would use to describe the gladiators in the arena. If you ever saw the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, the gladiators would spout a zante trying to stay alive in the arena. I mean, that was their goal. They made every effort to stay alive. They, they strove earnestly. They strove eagerly to not die. That was their goal, is to make every effort not to die when they were in the arena. That's how strong this word is. That's why this literally translated is fight for peace. Make every effort to fight for peace. This is what God is calling you to do. And I know some of you today would rather run, fight for peace. And I know some of you would say to me, well, you don't know what they said to me, fight for peace. You would say, well, you don't know what they did to me, fight for peace. So, so what does that practically mean to fight for peace. I'm going to give you three just very practical things you can do to fight for peace in some of the relationships in your life. Number one in your notes is confront humbly. Confront humbly. Because some of you are living with an elephant in the room in your relationship. Like you've learned how to get along peacefully, but there's no peace. You're cordial to each other, but there's this unspoken elephant that you've not confronted, and your relationship can't go to where God wants it to be until you confront that, 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 that wedge, or you confront the elephant, you confront the separation that, that you're struggling with. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come to offer your gift. In other words, if you're coming to church and you're trying to connect with God and and pray, but you've got a relationship that's not where it needs to be because, because of whatever reason, go fix that relationship. Then come talk to me, God is saying. How many of you have ever tried to pray and you felt like, I'm not connecting? Like, like, like I'm praying, but there, there's, there's something and I'm just not connecting to God the way I need to be connecting to God. I don't feel like he's hearing me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting through. Oftentimes, it's because of a relationship in your life that's not where it needs to be. That's why Jesus said, how can you say you love God who you do not see and yet not love your brother who you do see? See, it's all about relationships. So who, who is God asking you, or, or what is God asking you to confront today to see a relationship in your life healed or restored? For me, years of my life, I would not become a Christian because of my relationship with my dad. Because I knew to surrender my life, I knew enough about Christianity to know that if I give my life to Jesus, he's going to tell me to forgive my dad, and I didn't want to forgive my dad because of the hurt and the pain that, that I dealt with growing up. I didn't want to forgive him. So years, I would not give my life to Christ. Years, I would not become a Christian because I knew the moment I said yes to Jesus, he was going to tell me to forgive my dad, and I didn't want to do it. See, what do you need to do? What do you need to confront in your life? So many times to see a healing and and a relationship restored, there's always a confrontation. You got to deal with the issue. You got to, but here's the key. You've got to do it humbly. You've got to do it humbly with grace or it doesn't work. You can have a confrontation that doesn't go well. But if you confront humbly with God's grace, you can get through that and see a relationship restored. Here's the second thing. Love deeply. Love deeply. Because in the world today, we really don't understand what it means to love deeply. We have shallow love in the world today. We have been so programmed by Hollywood to, to believe Hollywood's lie on what love is. We watch these chick flicks and these romantic movies, and then we, we say to each other, why don't you treat me like that? Why don't you treat me like that? Because it's not real. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't exist. That's not real life. That's not real love. You know, we need to get rid of this, this attitude of falling in love. Here's the problem with falling in love. If you fall in love, you can fall out of love just as easily as falling into love. That, that's why we have so much divorce in our nation today is because people got married who fell in love. And a few years later, they fell out of love. Love is not a feeling. It is a commitment that you make. We as Christians, we don't practice consumer marriage. We practice covenant marriage. See, consumerism is, for example, if I own vending machines, then I've got a supplier, and the supplier gives me products for my vending machines. But if I find a better supplier who gives me better products at a better price, then what do I do? I cut the supplier I'm with, and I go with the better supplier. That's consumerism. And that's what a lot of marriages look like today. If I get a better deal or a younger offer, then I'm going to cut my losses and move on to the new one. And God wants us to practice covenant. Covenant. It's not based on how I feel. It's based on a commitment that I make. 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. 
deeply. This word deeply in the Greek is the Greek word ekteno. Ekteno. It's, it, it's actually an athletic term for Olympic runners. It means to stretch or to extend. Like, like if you've ever seen an Olympic race, when they come across the finish line, they ekteno. They stretch and they extend so that they can win the race. You, you stretch yourself to a place of discomfort. You extend yourself. That's what Peter is saying. Love deeply. Love to a place where it makes you uncomfortable. Deep love will make you uncomfortable. It stretches you. You're going to have to do things when you love deeply that, that shallow love won't do. Shallow love would rather say, you know what? It's just not working out. Let's move on with our life. Deep love says we'll be uncomfortable until we work this thing out. Because we are committed to each other. See, here's the the truth about love. The feeling of love follows the action of love, not the other way around. The feeling of love follows. The action does not follow the feeling. The feeling follows the action. I, I meet with guys, and they say, well, I just don't love her anymore. Well, they're trying to explain to me their feelings, but what they're really telling me is their actions. I'm not doing the action of love for her anymore, so I don't have the feeling of love for her anymore. Because wherever you put the action of love is where the feeling will show up. If you'll begin to do the actions of love again, the feeling of love will resurrect in your heart. And the proof of this is with newborn babies. How many know newborn babies, they're the most selfish human beings around? It's all about them. I mean, they don't add any value to the family. They don't add any value to the relationship. They don't do chores. All they want to do is feed me, change me, hold me. I mean, it's just selfish little human beings. Yet, what do you do? You serve them. You give them the action of love. You change their diapers. You feed them. And and, and how do most parents feel about newborn babies? They're totally crazy in love with them. And they're not getting anything out of the relationship, but they're crazy in love with them. Why? Because they're doing the action of love. And because they're doing the action of love, the feeling of love is there. Peter goes on to say, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Guess what, married people? You're going to fight today. Why don't you just decide right now that you're going to show some grace ahead of time? Because you know they're going to do something to make you mad. I mean, it's going to happen. They're not perfect. You know, you friends, you, your parents and siblings and, and, and siblings and parents and children, everything else, love covers a multitude. Love says, you know what, you're probably going to offend me sometime this week. So I'm just going to decide now when you do it, I'm going to show you some grace. It may be intentional. It may be unintentional. But it's going to happen because you're human. Love covers a multitude of sins. Here's the third thing that I want to leave you with today. Forgive irrationally. Forgive irrationally. Why? Because forgiveness is not rational at all. Forgiveness is not logical. You hurt me and I have to forgive you. That doesn't make any sense at all. You know, in the London Daily Express a couple years ago, Dr. Ken Hart wrote an article, and the headline of the article says, Can You Learn to Forgive? And then the subtitle said, Bearing a Grudge Can Hold You Back and Even Damage Your Health. You know, many doctors today are beginning to discover a link between unforgiveness and bitterness and cancer. 
Because when you live with unforgiveness and bitterness, your cells literally turn on each other and start destroying each other. And I'm not saying, so, so take this with a grain of salt. I'm not saying everybody with cancer, that's the reason. But what I am saying is they're now discovering a link between unforgiveness and bitterness and people that develop cancer. You need to forgive for your sake. See, unforgiveness is like lighting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies of smoke inhalation. That's what it is. I mean, most of the time, they've forgotten all about it and moved on with their life, and you're the one being tortured by it constantly because you haven't learned to forgive. Colossians 3, verse 13, Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. I don't like that word, whatever. I'll be honest with you. I wish Paul would have said some of it. I mean, you don't have to forgive all of it. Some of it. No, Paul said whatever. That means everything. Whatever they've done, how do you forgive people that have hurt us? I mean, how do you forgive people that have abused us, that have abandoned us, that have really done some terrible things to us? Well, Paul goes on to give the answer at the end of the verse. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, you're called to forgive the way God has forgiven you. So ask yourself, what has God forgiven you of? I mean, take, take a stroll down memory lane in your mind and think back all the things in your life that God has had to forgive you of. Because he's forgiven you over and over and over and over. And for people like me, over and over and over and over again. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that I had to be forgiven of. And, and you just look at the attitude of Jesus. Look, look at Jesus' last 30 days, or better yet, look at the last 30 hours of his life. He's betrayed. He's arrested, he's taken to court, he's judged as guilty even though he was completely innocent. He was beaten beyond human recognition, he was whipped, he had a crown of thorns driven into his skull. He had to carry his own cross. They took nail spikes and they drove them through his wrists and through his ankles. They hung him up on a cross, spit on him, laughed at him, cursed him, mocked him, and his best friends betrayed him. And abandon him. Turn their back on him. And look at how Jesus deals with it. In Luke 23 verse 34. He says father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. So let me talk for a moment. What, what, what stops us from forgiving other people? You know, what's, what's the big roadblock in our mind? Well, one thing is we think that, well, if I forgive them, they're not going to get caught or found out. Nobody will ever know if I forgive them. And, and let me just stop for a moment and say, there are some extreme situations out there, and forgiveness doesn't mean if it was a crime against you that you shouldn't report it. Reporting a crime and forgiving somebody can coincide together. You know, like, like if, you, if, you were, if you were a, a victim of something terrible and you were called to testify in court, you can forgive the person and still testify in court because testifying in court, all that means is you're telling the truth. And God wants you to tell the truth and you need to tell the truth so hopefully that person won't do anything to anybody else. 
So forgiving them has nothing to do with not being able to, to tell the truth in court. So I just want to clear that up so if anybody has a question. But what we're talking about today is not those extreme situations. We're talking about most of the stuff we deal with in our family, in our marriage, at work, in our community. We're talking about the majority of that. But I just wanted to just touch on the extreme for a moment. So for those of you that, that have experienced that, just understand what we're talking about is the majority of stuff we deal with. People say, well, if I forgive them, then they'll prosper and they'll be blessed as if they'd never done anything wrong. Or, or one of the problems we have is, is, you know, we know the Bible says, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we'll sit around and fantasize how God's going to deal with him. You know, and that's just as wrong. You know, it's like we'll just, we'll just dream up ways of God going to smite them for what they did to us. Let me give you th- three more things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing what happened to you. It's not saying that it wasn't that big a deal. It was a very big deal. It hurt. It's not minimizing what happened to you. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Now, for the purposes of today's message, for those of you that aren't dealing with extreme situations, we hope that forgiveness leads you to reconciliation. But there are some extreme cases where where you don't need to reconcile with that person. You don't need to put yourself in an environment where you can be abused again. You need to forgive, but it's not necessarily reconciliation. And then the last thing is forgiveness is not forgetting. You're not necessarily going to forget what happened to you. Forgiveness is not forgetting, but what forgiveness can do is it'll lead to healing. Forgiveness isn't healing, but forgiveness can bring you to healing. See, I've got memories of things that have happened to me in my life, especially with my father. But what God has done, since I've forgiven my father, God has brought me through a process of healing where the memory is still there. I haven't forgotten, but what God has done is he's detached the emotion from the memory. Like the fact is still there. It's in my mind, but there's no emotion attached to it anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. I still have the memory. It just doesn't hurt because God has healed it so that the emotion isn't attached to it anymore. I haven't forgotten, but God's healed it. And so I want to encourage you today. If you need to fight for peace, you need to confront humbly so you can bring whatever is holding you back out in the open. You need to love deeply. And you need to forgive irrationally. And as we close this series, I want you to just hear from kind of the stories that we heard again. And, and this is kind of their final words, just imparting wisdom, final words. Uh, Stacy and Larry, they both went home to be with Jesus shortly after these films were made. Uh, Lionel and Sherry, you know, through a series of, you know, God bringing health to them and healing them. Uh, they're, they're still here, but I want you to hear kind of their final words from people who've really had a very limited time left to live. Let's watch this together. You know, just the value of everything else is just gone. It's all for nothing. And you you read the Bible and you go to church and you listen to the word, you know, and you talk about that. You can't take it with you. And, and how you're not supposed to live, you know, for those treasures. Those are the wrong kinds of treasures. You know, I think those things that I thought were urgent aren't all that urgent. You know, they're not, um, I don't know. I, I wanted to go to this place. I wanted to go here and travel there, and I wanted to do this and do that. And while those things are important, um, I find that they're not what I'm missing. And, and I have clothes in there that still have the price tags on them that at some point really meant a lot to me. 
And I just patted them all and just touched them. And I was like, this is all for nothing. It's all for nothing. This means nothing. These clothes are for nothing. The shoes are for nothing. All your shoes, you shoes, shoes, shoes for nothing. You know, I just, just keep going around looking at it going, it's just all for nothing. The only, the only thing that means anything are the people. What's important is relationships, you know? And um, the rest is not all that big of a deal. You know, the people who have come forward, the people who've reached out to us, who've come over, who've helped us. <sighs> you know, it's drawn my husband and I, I think, a lot closer. I mean, I, I know that man loves me. There is no doubt in my mind that that man loves me. I mean, he, he just puts up with so much. <laughs> and he's there. And um, he thinks I'm beautiful, even when I'm bald, <laughs> you know? And um, he's a good man. And I feel like I can talk to him about anything. I mean, we can, we've had some really deep conversations, um, things that we probably wouldn't have had had I not been sick. And with my girls, I think I'm just more in tune with them, you know. I'm not as likely to shove them off, you know. <laughs> Sometimes kids can be kind of annoying, you know. And, uh, but I'm more likely to just take that in, drink them in, you know. To all my kids and my wife, there's only three words that I could say. I love you. We'll make that five words. I love you very much. What areas uh, this morning is God asking you to fight for peace? And what relationships are you needing to fight for peace in? Now, who do you need to forgive right now? What do you need God to forgive you of? Who do you need to go to and seek their forgiveness? Let's fight for peace. You know, for some of you, you need to take the first step in this fight, and that's to ask Jesus to forgive you and to really surrender your life to him. Because here's the truth. You can't do this without him. You can try to love deeply without him. It's not going to work. It's not going to be that deep without his help. You can try to, to confront in a humble way, uh, but it's probably going to blow up without him. You can try to forgive, but if he doesn't give you the grace, it, it's, it's going to be virtually impossible to truly let go and forgive without him. And so for some of you today, you need to take the very first step, and it's surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means to make God number one in your life. Because the reality is, if God's not number one on your list, he's not on your list. And I know that's a hard truth, but you can't squeeze God into second place in your life. You can't try to fit God into third place in your life. You don't want a God like that. You don't want to give your life to a God that would take second place or third place or, or fourth place in your life. God's first or he's not there at all. And, and, and that's a tough truth. 
You know, it's like, I know the president, I know who he is, but we, we don't know each other. Like, like I know a lot about him and, and, and I know who he is. I even know his name, but we don't know each other. And I think that's where a lot of people are with God. You know, a lot of people are like, I know a lot about God. You know, I go to church, you know, on a regular basis. And, and you, know, you know, I even read the Bible sometimes, but you don't know him. You know a lot about him, but you don't know him because you can't know him unless he's first. He's got to be first. You've got to surrender your life. And that means some things are going to have to change. If you, if you decide today to make God first in your life, some things are going to have to change. You're going to have to make some, some rearrangements. But here's the key. You don't change so that God will accept you. See, that's backwards. See, a lot of people say, well, I need to make some changes in my life so I can come to God. No, you don't. You need to give your life to God, and then he'll give you the ability to make some changes in your life. He'll take you exactly the way you are right now. He'll take you with all your brokenness and all your pain and your mess and whatever you're dealing with. He'll take you right now exactly the way you are, and then he'll give you the ability to start making some changes in your life. But the key is you got to surrender to him. So I want to pray with you. Would you just close your eyes for a moment with me? Bow your heads. If you need to join me in a very simple prayer of making Jesus first in your life, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or walk down to the front. You don't even have to pray this out loud. God can hear your heart this morning. So with every eye closed and nobody looking around, if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I really need to make God number one. I need to put him first in my life. If if you'd like to join me in a very simple prayer, again, with, with every eye closed, just slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Right now, just raise your hand. Thank you. 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 Thank you appreciate all of those hands. You can put them down. The prayer is very simple. In your heart, would you just say, Jesus, today I invite you to take first place in my life. Say, Jesus, will you forgive me for any area where I've just missed it? And then lastly, Jesus, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Amen. If you prayed today, I want to encourage you to take one more step before we leave. On your connection card and your worship guide, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you made either one of those decisions during the prayer today, I want to encourage you to check a box. You can drop it off one of the tithe and offering boxes as you leave. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to call you. We're not going to show up at your house. All you'll get is a simple email from us giving you the next steps of what it means for God to be first. But more importantly, we want to know about it so we can pray for you. This is the greatest decision you'll ever make, and we'd love to pray for you in your journey. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, this is the greatest book you'll ever get. Uh, I encourage you to take one today. We have plenty available outside. We'd love to give you a Bible. Uh, It'll change your life. You can join us on our reading plan. It, it, It really is a living, breathing book. Would you stand with me as we close? It's our last week of this series, so again, I'm going to pray Psalm 39 over us as we leave. Father, today, I pray, God, that you would remind all of us here how brief our time on earth really is. God, that you would remind us that our days are numbered, that our life is fleeting. God, that our lives are no longer than the widths of our hand. Our entire lifetime to you, Lord, is just a moment. At best, each of us, God, is just a breath. 
So with that being true, let us fight for peace in the relationships in our life. Let us confront humbly the situations that we need to confront. Let us love deeply, God, and let us forgive irrationally. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a wonderful day.